Don't you really appreciate our musicians leading us to worship, not just today, but every week? Wow. I thought I was a little weak at first there. I'm glad to see you respond. Let's begin today with a little bit of a formulaic exercise. If I say to you, knock, knock, your reply is supposed to be, all right, so let's be pragmatist. Somebody just answer the door. It doesn't matter who's there. I'm not going to tell you knock-knock jokes today, but I do want you to think about the question, who's there? Take your Bibles and go with me to the book of Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 12, we find what will be the next installment for us in this new series that we started last week, something of a strategic follow-up to our vision series in which we've come to grips with a theological mandate that we have to connect people with the love and the life of Jesus Christ. And as we consider that task that we have before us, we need to begin to ask those questions about how do we do that, and especially how do we do that in a world that seems to be bent on rejecting the message that we hold and that we seek to deliver to them. As we do that, I want to give you three different principles this morning that come out of the first part of verse 1. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis 12:1 for a couple of weeks, and here's the first part of it, and here's the first principle that I want you to get. I'm just going to introduce it today, but we'll be elaborating on this over the next few weeks. The principle is that the life of faith, the life that pleases God, the life that people cannot deny, whether they embrace it or not, they cannot deny this when it's lived out in your life. The life of faith always begins with God speaking. Now, I'm not going to develop that one today. We'll be developing that principle over the next several weeks, as I said. But that principle is 12, which is a major crossroads in Scripture and especially in the Old Testament. If we were to go back and pick up the first 11 chapters, we would find this narrative, this story of salvation history where God creates and man destroys by his choice and God begins to move towards a solution to that. And then we find in that stretch the story of Noah and the ark and man doing his absolute worst, so much so that God says, I just really am kind of sorry that I did this whole thing. Let's just start over. By the time we get through chapter 11... We find that man, once again, has fouled God's creation. God begins in chapter 12 to establish a people. And salvation history begins anew, if you will, or in a fresh chapter in chapter 12, verse 1. And in those first few words, we find that principle that God begins by speaking to this guy named Abram. His name will be changed to Abraham later. He's the guy that we all know from Scripture. What do we find in these few words that help us as it relates to living out the Christian life in the 21st century when we are surrounded by people who seem to say, I really am not interested in what you have? Well, here's another principle for you. We'll spend a little time with this one. The principle is that God always meets you where you are. Now, we'll talk about where you are in just a few moments, but let's talk about where Abram was and how God met him there. Abram, as we find in the last few verses of chapter 11 in this transition kind of a passage, 
Abram finds himself in Haran, and you can go to that back part of your Bible. Most of you will have Bibles that have maps in them, and you can look and see where this particular area is. We might just say not, not just generally the Middle East, but a little more specifically towards modern-day Iraq and that general area. And Abram finds himself there. Let's go back into chapter 11 just to get the full picture here. Because in chapter 11, beginning in verse 27, we find a little bit of the backstory for Abram. Not much, but a little bit. Verse 27, Genesis 11. And now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ishka. Verse 30, and now Sarai was barren. She had no child. And Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. These... The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So we find Abram in this place called Haran. To us, that means little to nothing, probably. The significance of that is the principle that I've already stated, and that is that God will always meet you where you are, even some back alley part of a desolate part of the Middle East. Where are you today? I know this, I started off being kind of a smart aleck with the knock-knock thing, so some of the smart alecks among us will say, well, I'm sitting in church. And I would say that's a good start to an answer. Most of us are sitting in church here. Our minds may be totally somewhere else, but our bodies are sitting in here. Unless you happen to be watching tape delay video broadcast or maybe on a podcast somewhere, we, we need to un- identify and embrace where we are. I'm not talking about where your body is today. I'm talking about where you are spiritually. It's an interesting thing when we come to the life of Abram, and we'll unpack this a little more as we go forward, but uh, Abram, we don't really know much about him at this point, but God does, and God meets him where he is, and in the process of doing that, we will find some things about him in just a few moments, but here's my question. Wherever you happen to be today, as Elvin made reference, if you just wandered in here and you're maybe disjointed a little bit and maybe you're disillusioned with the whole church thing and maybe maybe you're on the other end of that and you're on this this upswing because of your faith today the question is where are you do you know where you are spiritually today and wherever that happens to be is it possible that god might be wanting to meet you there today i happen to believe that many times we come stumbling into church. We don't really have too much intent on meeting with God. It's just part of our routine. I would suggest to you that God is ready to meet you where you are today, wherever that happens to be. Let me tell you about a friend of mine. This friend of mine 
he's dead now, but his name is Andy Brum, O-N-D-I-E. Andy and I were classmates in seminary many years ago now. And Andy was a guy who met God. Andy had some struggles in his life. He was the product of, a, of an assault against his mother by a Nazi soldier at the end of World War II. Andy's life was marked by being alone. Andy had some issues in his life. He developed a drug habit. As a matter of fact, his drug of choice was heroin, and that drug habit ultimately became what he was known for until his drug habit gave him another thing to be known for, and that was being a thief, and a thief of the highest order because he was an armed robber, and his habit was such that he began to hold up stores at gunpoint. And so Andy then picked up another identifier for who he was. He became a convict. And Andy did time for his armed robbery that was triggered by a drug habit. Andy did his time, and he came out, and his life didn't get a whole lot better. He had a wife and kids, but his, his life just continued to spiral out of control until finally one day Andy said that he decided that he would just end it all. And so he took a pistol when his wife and his kids were out of the house, and he found his way to one of the closets in the back part of the house. He sat down on the floor of that closet with a pistol intending to end his life. As he was trying to work up the nerve to pull the trigger, Andy said the phone rang in the house. And he, it startled him enough that it interrupted his thinking process, and he was sure he wasn't going to answer the phone. So he sat and he waited, and sure enough, eventually the phone stopped ringing. And he stepped back into the process of trying to work up the courage to pull the trigger to end his misery, a lifelong misery, and the phone started ringing again, and Andy, true to form, just got mad about that. And so he put down the pistol, and he jumped up, and he pushed out of the closet, and he went down, and he answered the phone, and on the other end of the phone was a friend of his wife, a pastor. And the pastor told Andy that day, I just couldn't get you off my mind. I, I knew that things were going roughly for you, and I just thought I would call to let you know that Somebody cares about you, and Jesus Christ loves you. God met Andy Brum in a closet at the end of his rope. Andy went on to be an evangelist. We had him at our church in South Texas when I was there, and he, because of his background, he had been endorsed by the President of the United States to go to schools and talk to kids about drugs and what they will do to you and the life of that. And I understand we just came through Red Ribbon Week. And so in those kind of contexts, he would be invited into schools and always he would point them to the hope that is in Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ changed his life. Where are you today? I'm not so naive as to believe that some of us might well be thinking about finding a closet like he was. Or maybe we're just going through the motion, ticking off the boxes of a day-to-day existence rather than a day-to-day life. Like Abram in the Middle East and Andi in a closet, 
God will meet you where you are. And it's really possible that some of you are sitting here today and he's already met you here today, whether through the music or through this short message that we have. God will always meet you where you are. You don't have to get cleaned up to come to him. He'll meet you where you are. But here's what you need to know with that. Things will change when he meets you. By the time we get out of verse 3, Abram's whole life will have been rearranged and redirected because God took the initiative to speak to him. God found him where he was, and God changes things. Here's what we need to understand. God not only will meet you where you are, but he will never be content to leave you there. That actually gets me to the next principle we find here. God meets you where you are, but when he meets you, you just need to know he has a relationship goal in mind for you. He's not going to just waltz in uh, like an emergency doctor and treat the symptoms and then walk off and leave you there. God always, when he meets you, he always has relationship in mind. And we find that of all places in the name that is used here to refer to this one who speaks to Abram. Now, the Lord said. Now, we talked about this some in our Sunday night Bible study a few weeks ago. But many of you were not in there. So let me just point you backwards in your Bibles most of the time. Don't do it right now. But in your Bibles, many of our Bibles have a few pages in the beginning that talk a little bit about how the people who compiled that particular version came to it, some of the translators. And there's some explanation in there about this word Lord. And if you'll notice, most of our translation will have the word Lord there in small caps, all caps, but they're small. That is a way of referring in the New Testament in the English language to a Hebrew word that is, we would say, is the word Yahweh. It's a little more complex than that, but that's essentially why it's printed that way. And when you find the word Lord, all caps like that, referring to the word, the Hebrew name Yahweh, it is a particular name for God that emphasizes covenant. It's the name for God that the uh, Hebrews use to talk about the covenant God, the one who was, certainly he was Elohim, the all-powerful one, the creator, etc. But that same God chose and continues to choose to build relationship with people. Yahweh, Lord, God, we tend to say, he meets you where you are, but he always meets you with the intent of relationship. We're going to find with Abram, before we even get out of the first handful of verses, that that relationship will take him places he never dreamed was possible. One of the reasons that we come to Abram and this sto- the story and the life that God gives to us is because he starts this salvation history story with Abram and at its zenith, at its highest point, We find Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. In just a few weeks, we'll begin celebrating the Christmas season where much of the world celebrates Jesus Christ and his birth. Let's not forget that Jesus is the perfect picture of how much God wants to have a relationship with you and with me. So wherever you are today, 
Jesus Christ says to you, I have a life plan for you. I love you so much that I want to have this relationship with you that takes care of the sin problem in your life, the curse of sin and the separation from God that sin brings. And this Jesus Christ says to you and to me, let's do life together. In a relationship, not a religious thing, but a relationship where he invests in us. That's why, by the way, we come on a regular basis to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Because what it took for us to get to that relationship with him, something, someone had to pay for the price of sin. And Jesus Christ, the perfect one, gave his life, sacrificed himself so that you and I could have a relationship with him. Do you have that relationship today? As he knocks on your door this morning, Ask who's there. Figure out who he is. Because I think what you will find as you settle into the relationship that he gives is there's no one like him. The life he gives, the love that he offers, drives us to worship. And today it drives us to remember the high price of our sin and what it took for us to be able to have that relationship. Let me ask you, if you will, to just bow your heads for a few moments, and we're going to go to our Lord's Supper time. I'll invite the deacons to come on up at this point. But as they're coming, I would like to challenge you just a little bit and ask you to personalize the truth of what we're talking about here. Do you have that relationship with Jesus Christ? Maybe this morning. If not this morning, at some point, I'm confident that God has been knocking at your heart's door, trying to communicate with you at a level that says, I have a life for you that goes far beyond what you can even dream. Do you have that relationship with him? If you don't, then today should be the day. Today could be the day. For you, today needs to be the day that you respond to that knock at your heart's door, that you respond to the offer of life that Jesus Christ makes to you. Many of us have already made that choice. And that's why we come to do this Lord's Supper, this remembering that we do. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. It's, it's that time that we put everything else aside. and We come back to remember the high price of sin, the sufficient sacrifice that Jesus was, and we celebrate his life in us. So as we go into the time of participating and celebrating the Lord's Supper, I'm going to invite you to do a little soul searching where you are. Just kind of draw a circle around yourself right there in that pew. Nobody else around you matters at this point. It's just between you and God. Refresh the story of your life. Where are you with him? Where is he with you? So as we come to remember, we pray that it would be a time of worship and a time of even life change.